0: Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning, and welcome to another Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional, Mike Miller, your host for today. So glad you're with us. Seems like the Saturdays come more quickly every week, and uh, we're back again. And as I tell guests that are on uh, Talking Money. I always tell them it's the fastest hour you'll ever spend because it just goes so quickly, especially when we have people like yourselves calling to ask questions. It uh, makes the time go by even faster. I think it makes it a little more interesting for our listeners to hear what you're thinking about, what you're wondering about. You can send me an email to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com or, as many folks do, go to the talkingmoneyradio.com website, and there you can click on to Ask Mike a Question or you can uh, and or you can go in and listen to other programs that we've previously recorded on various topics, because we're here to educate. I'm here to help you be a better uh, decision maker for financial planning for your own finances. Um, because I've seen over the years of doing this uh, in this business that I think keeping yourself from making a bad move is sometimes and oftentimes more important than making the right moves. And, and so we're here to help you do that. So don't sell any products. Uh, we're sponsored by Ronald Blue Trust, but we don't, uh, and Ronald Blue Trust does not sell any products. And many of you long term listeners remember Plan First. So that was the firm I started that we merged with Ronald Blue Trust a little over three years ago. And that's hard to believe. It's been that long already. Uh, but, uh, neither firm sold any products, and we were just a good fit philosophically and, and culturally. From a Christian worldview perspective, it's been a, it's been a great move for our, our clients and for our team, I think. And uh, so we're looking forward to many more years of serving clients uh, through Ronald Blue Trust. But we're here to answer your questions and not sell you a thing. We've been talking about investments the last couple of weeks, and as I've been thinking about investing, and this is really part three of of a series. So if you didn't catch the other two... Go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and listen now, and you'll be able to go to the other programs that we've recorded and posted on that site. You, you can hear uh, one, two, and three. Listen to it as a podcast, as I know many listeners listen to this as a as a podcast, which is great. Pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can get uh, the Talking Money Radio program. Um, but it's it's uh, such a um, unique uh, personal. Uh, thing that people do that when you're investing, you, you're you investing for yourself, you're investing for your family, your, your heirs, your grandkids, your kids, and it, it, you want to be careful how much you listen to your friends, uh, peers, other people who may be talking about something that they did that they were very successful at. You know, I did such and such, I bought such and such, and I made all kind of money, and it's easy to get envious of somebody like that that seems to have been – been doing well and and making good decisions on their investments. But just remember, just about every case, all you're hearing is what they did well. You're not hearing all the times they made an investment that they lost money on. They're not going to tell you about that. They're only going to tell you about the ones that they made money on. But still, it's just for them. It's their their goals, their risk profile, how much volatility can they take, and what are they comfortable with. Because one of the best ways to, to make money I shouldn't say best ways. One of the fastest ways to make a lot of money is to invest in a small number of industries, maybe one stock. You caught Apple at the right time. You caught Amazon at the right time, and, and you let it run, and you made a lot of money on that one stock. And, and that's a uh, a way a lot of people make a lot of money. Same thing with a business owner. They, they make a lot of money because they're investing in the stock of their business. They're investing in that business, and that's where they're making the most money, they're not taking money out and investing in other businesses. They're investing in their own. But, of course, the risk is much higher because you're investing in one company, your own company. You're investing in the company you work for. You work for 3M. You work for Exxon. You work for one of these companies. And you and because you're comfortable working with that company and you feel like it's very stable, you don't mind putting more money than normal invested into that one company. But it's still just a one company. So you're, you are – taking a lot of risk, ask some of the people that were invested in some of the bank stocks back in '8 and they still haven't recovered. When you when you look at these uh, individual companies like that, yes, they're all subject to uh, a lot of gain but also subject to a lot of downward loss. and some of that is a permanent loss. It goes down. It just doesn't come back up depending on what happens to that company. So what I'm talking about is some ways to uh, plan your investments. And, and really work the plan. You should work the plan. And then stick to your plan and to your plan, not to somebody else's plan. Stick to your own plan. And and be careful about getting fearful when it doesn't seem like the plan is working. I, I can guarantee you. I, I, I very rarely guarantee anything, especially when it comes to finances and stocks and so forth. But I can guarantee you one thing. Uh, stocks will go down. Now, I can't guarantee you when they'll go down. How far they'll go down, how long they'll stay down until they start coming back up. We can't answer those kind of questions. No one can. So you want to be very careful when you're speaking with a professional that you think, okay, I want this person to handle my financial planning. And what they're telling me is things like, here's what we can do for you. Here's the performance we've had in the past. Here's what we think we can perform in the in the future. And when they start acting like that, they know what's going on and that they can virtually guarantee they, they, they come across so confidently, it's like they can guarantee you that they're going to make X amount of return because they've done it in the past, and you don't even know that they've done it in the past for sure, and, and often in and, and many cases, because I've seen many professionals that will, the way they sell you on their service, the way they explain their services to you, is they show you here's a portfolio that that uh, we're, we can use for you. And the portfolio shows various mutual funds, various indexes, whatever it is. And here's the past track record on those. Here's how these investments have performed in the past. And people don't think to ask, well, okay, this is great. I mean, anybody can go to research and Google it or whatever and find investments that have done well for the last 5, 10, 15 years. Anybody can find those. And I can show you those returns and say, here, I'm going to invest like this for you, see what it's done the last 15 years the the next question should be all right so where did you invest 5 10 15 years ago now you're telling me this is how you invest now but is this this return that you show me is this the return that you actually made for the last 5 or 10 years 15 years or is this what you're telling me you'd invest in today because all you're looking at is the track record for the last 5 10 or 15 years and and you're really implying and you want me to infer from your implication that you are that it's going to repeat itself and, and one of the things that I've seen over the years that I've been in this business is it rarely does. It rarely repeats itself. And I still remember, and I've shared this story before, but it's been a while, I think. I, I still remember being at a workshop and for the Financial Planning Association, and this uh, Bob Paris was interviewing three international fund managers, and all three of those fund managers had done phenomenal for the last year or two years in their return. And so they were up there going to be talking about you know, how they did so well and why they did so well and so forth. Well, Bob Veras put it in very much in perspective, and he started the the panel discussion by saying, "Now, do you realize the reason the the fact that you guys are all up here means your performance for the next year is probably going to be the worst?" And everybody laughed because we all knew they're up there because their performance was good for the last two, three, five years, whatever it is. But it's usually when those kinds of of money managers to have that kind of return it's usually time for them to to not be the top earners and We talked about that at the end of the program toward the end of the program last week, I started talking about the the major asset class uh, performance and and how different classes of assets like uh, U.S. large cap, international developed stock, emerging markets, how they performed over the last 15 years or so, and which ones were at the top, which ones were at the bottom, and so forth. And none of them stayed at the top, none of them stayed at the bottom. So it's, it's easy to buy the ones that have been at the top for the last three or four years when probably you need to be thinking about what is going to be doing the best next, which maybe is the one investment that the uh, asset class, not a particular individual investment, but the asset class, That has done the worst or done close to the worst. It's toward the bottom of returns for the last two, three years. That's probably time. If it's a good solid investment, I'm taking like emerging markets or large cap growth stocks. Uh, it could be time that they're about to go to the top and be there for, for several years. So good diversification, what I would call effective diversification is important. All right. So we get back from the break where I'm going to talk about some time based solutions. How, you can think about your portfolio in in uh, time buckets, uh, I think, to help keep you in perspective uh, and help you hopefully stick to your plan that you've set up, and you won't derail that plan when things seem to be going south and soured and that kind of thing. I want to show you a way to think through that and hopefully be able to maintain your plan. We'll be right back. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum. Private Wealth, Everyday Steward, Family Office, and the Professional Athlete Division. The company's largest division, Private Wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private Wealth advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with the big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. We're just past 19 minutes after the hour here on a Saturday morning. So glad you're with us. And, of course, if you're listening via podcast, send that email to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. So we'll answer that at a future Talking Money program. But we've been talking about investing, some of the basics of investing, and more of the philosophies of investing. And to look at it a little higher level picture, I mean, investing is is some science. I mean, there's a lot of math into it. There's a lot of research that you can do and look at the numbers but that doesn't, looking at the numbers doesn't necessarily give you the exact place to invest. Otherwise, it would be easy. So there's there's a, a bit of an art to it, uh, and and I think part of tenacity to it, that you stick to your plan, that once you figure your plan out and you say, this is what I want to do, then you stick to that plan and you try not to worry about it. And and if you do worry about it, don't act on that worry. And so I tell people all the time, you don't have to always be happy about Certain parts of the portfolio are not doing well at certain times. Um, but don't act on that and, and realize that that the, when, this, when your investments are going up, whatever that investment is, if that's a, a real estate or if that's a real estate that happens to be in a private placement real estate or if it's stocks or bonds, whatever it is, that it's not going to keep going up. If it's going up, doing well, it's not going to keep doing that. Look at the real estate market just in, in the upstate of South Carolina. Uh, And it's been going nuts for a long time, and which is great for realtors, for builders, and so forth. But those of us who've been around Greenville long enough know that it hasn't always been this way, and I don't think it always will be. It just it just rarely goes constantly in one direction. You've got variables that come in there. Something happens to the economy. Something happens, not necessarily to the upstate economy but to the national economy, the world economy, and the, that interrupts those kind of things. Something else happens with interest rates that makes the the loans harder to get. And so the prices of the homes have to then stabilize or maybe even come down because people can't afford the houses because they're paying for it with a loan, using a loan, and if that loan costs more, then I can't buy as much house. And, and I'm afraid a lot of people who have been buying houses above market, uh, a lot above market, because they just feel like they have to. And in some cases, I'm sure they feel like they do that they're going to, they're going to feel the pressure later as those loan payments stay there because you had to make a higher loan in order to get that house. That's a higher monthly payment. And we don't think about how that extra $50, $150, $200 a month. You say, okay, yeah, we can handle that. Uh, and, and maybe you can, but you, when it's, when it's, life that goes on and you think wow i i sure would like to just go get pizza tonight or go out to eat tonight well we can't because that 200 dollars a month that we're spending toward the house is is not there to help us go out to eat it's just not there same thing with a car purchase you buy a car it's oh yeah i can afford another you know 50 dollars a month on that well think about that 50 dollars would spend each month on something else that you're not going to be able to spend. So you've got to set your priorities. What do I want? What's important to me? And so forth. So one of the things that I think is um, important to think of when you're looking at your own investments is com- compartmentalize them. And either you actually do it in, in paper, on in statements like we can now do at uh, Blue Trust, or you just in your head, which we did mostly with Plan First. It was like, okay. We, all this portfolio looks like it's just in two accounts, but really it's in multiple buckets. So we're looking at the short-term bucket, and that bucket is there for money that you feel like you're going to Now, you might even have one that's even um, shorter term than that. It's, uh, it, you know, it's a 90-day bucket. It's a, a money market bucket that I know I'm going to need these funds in, in a very short period of time. But normally we look at the short-term bucket as money that's going to be needed in the next one to two years. And so that's going to be invested in primarily short-term bonds. It could be short-term municipal bonds. It could be short-term corporate bonds. And the idea is to limit volatility and to maintain principle. You're, you're trying not to really have any principal movement or very little. Even short-term bonds can have some principal movement. And hopefully the interest that it's paying or the dividends that it, they are paying will offset whatever little movement they might have in it. But you're not looking for – uh, uh, great returns. You're not looking to beat inflation. This is money that you need to keep on hand so that you can put money into the other bucket, and not worry so much about those buckets. All right, then the next bucket would be a two, uh, a three to nine year bucket. Let's say five year um, average bucket. With that's your intermediate term needs. So this would go into intermediate term bonds typically. This is money that you would say, okay, I, I want to have access to it, I may need it, but probably not for at least three, probably five or longer years. I'm just going to put that in intermediate bonds. It 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 probably won't make as much as stocks during that period of time, but it might because stocks may be going through a tough time, which is why you keep this money in something more uh, stable, less volatile, um, but then, of course, you it'll, it'll be subject to inflation more because it's not going to be making as much, but you're trying to get it to at least have uh returns to keep up with inflation, whatever that may be which which uh, in the last uh six months may be hard to do, but average inflation over time let's look at that not just uh five or six percent inflation like we've been having here lately because that's abnormal as well we hope it is anyway and uh so that's gonna be in a midterm bucket so in those buckets, you say, well I've got enough money here that I know if the stock market went down or my other investments went down and they stayed down for five years, didn't come back up for five years, six years, seven years, I'm okay because I've got enough money to live off of right here. And assuming you're confident, and you, and if history repeats itself, you should be confident that the stocks will go back up because it's, it's very rare that stocks, when they start going down, don't come back up to at least as high as they were before they started going down within five years. Now, every now and then, I think the decade starting with the 08 was a little different than that, but um, even then it started to make it up for it, and it has since then. So and we'll talk about some 20-year returns here before the uh, program's over today. I think you'll find it very interesting what the rolling average of the stock market has been, rolling 20-year periods has been. But because you you have the money in this more stable stuff, um, when stocks go down – Hopefully it helps you then focus on the short-term investments that you have that aren't going up and down. And you can say, okay, because I know I'm, I'm taking care of for a while, then I can, um, leave that other money alone. Matter of fact, if it goes down far enough, maybe I should take some of that intermediate-term money and put it into my long-term bucket because it went down 15, 20, 25%. But as I've said many times, uh, when you get in that long-term bucket, if, If you're the kind that, in spite of the fact that you know it's in your long-term bucket, you know you don't need it for for five-plus, maybe longer years, ten years, you panic and you get out of it when it goes down 25%, and and I can almost guarantee you it's going to, at some point in time, go down 25%. And how long it's going to stay there? As I said at the top of the program, I don't know. Nobody does. Uh, But if, if you are going to bail out at that time, then you really shouldn't get into it to begin with because you'll lose more money. You've derailed your plan, and and you'll never make it up because uh, you're going to put it into very short-term stuff. You may even uh, take it and put it into an annuity. And so when I'm talking about you know short-term conservative stuff here in the three to five years, and you're trying to meet inflation, uh, and if you use some of that money to put into annuity, well, you got to remember that that's no longer short-term money anymore. Because you put it into an annuity that has a, a seven, eight, nine, probably ten-year surrender charge in it, so you can't get your money out of there. You can get some; you may ten percent a year, you may get out of that, um, but that may not be enough for you some years. So you can't use that as your short intermediate-term bucket because of the illiquidity in it, and until you've had it for. Uh, long enough to get past the surrender charge, you really can't do that. All right, so then you have your long term and maybe even an ultra long term bucket, and that's going to primarily be in stock, global stocks, not just U.S. stocks, but global stocks. Which is another caution for people. I hear people all the time that that compare their portfolio just to one index, and it's usually the S and P 500 index. Well, if I can't beat the S and P 500 index, then my advisor's is not doing any good, or my portfolio is not doing any good. I need to get into something else. And 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 if you're thinking that way. Then all of your funds should be just put in the S&P 500 index. Then you know you're going to meet the index no matter what happens. And you don't pay anybody a fee. I'm just, I'm going to be in the S&P 500 index and I'll take it going up and down. But as we looked at last week, those stocks are not necessarily the ones that earn the best all the time. So diversifying in global stocks for your long term and your ultra long term bucket, I think makes sense. And you're trying to beat, um, have a, a 4% real return. On average, there again, average real return. So we'd say real return, that means net of inflation. So if inflation is two, you want to make at least six, so your net real return is at least four. That's that's the minimum you're trying, that's the, the low bar that you're trying to set. Some years you make more, like last year. Some years you make less, like 2008 or 2018 when things didn't do very well. There are going to be years like that. But you're looking for an average rate of return. So we get back to the break. We're going to talk about how portfolio goals have trade-offs. You know, People like to have their cake and eat it too. Don't we all like your cake and eat it too? But your, your primary goals: meeting future cash flow needs, limiting volatility, or keeping up with the benchmarks. Those are three distinct goals. You can't have them all at the same time. We'll talk about that when we get back. We'll be back with the second half of Talking Money in just a few minutes. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum. One division is Everyday Steward, which serves clients who are just getting started to those with an investable net worth ranging from 100000 up to a $1 000, 000. For those desiring objective, biblical principles in their investments, cash flow management, financial planning, which includes retirement, insurance, tax, and estate, and their giving, Ronald Blue Trust's Everyday Steward advisors can serve as their clients' stewardship coaches, so they can focus on living a life of purpose. For more information about Everyday Stewart and the other divisions of Ronald Blue Trust, they can be found at ronblue.com. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Mike Miller, your host for today. We're coming up at about 25 minutes before the hour. So glad you're with us to helpfully learn something about investing these last couple of weeks. We've been talking about all different kinds and, and aspects of investing in philosophies and, and processes and how to look at investing and how to make sure you don't derail your financial plan. If you've got a question for me, send that question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com or just go to the TalkingMoneyRadio.com website and click on Ask Mike a Question. And you can uh, type away at your heart's desire, whatever that question is, and, and I'll respond to you and to uh, maybe ask more questions to get a little better idea of what your question really is. I want to make sure that I understand your situation as much as I can to be able to give you the best answer that I can. But right before the break, we were talking about portfolio goals and how there are really three uh, tradeoffs and three things that you're really trying to get at. One, you're trying to meet your future cash flow needs. Sometimes you're trying to meet your current cash flow needs. Or you're, you're, you want to, uh, beat the benchmarks or you want to make certain amounts of return. You want to, you know, beat those benchmarks or meet the benchmarks and at least be competitive with the benchmarks. And the other, the goal would be limiting volatility. I don't like everything going up and down, but you have to remember you can't do all those simultaneously. They can't be done at the same time. You got to figure out which one is your highest priority and focus on that one. So you, you can't say, I'm going to limit volatility and invest all in the stock market. Well, you're not limiting your volatility. Now, some people would say, well, I don't mind that amount of volatility. And that's fine, too. But you're not really trying to limit volatility. You're letting volatility go wherever it will. And, and you're okay with that. And that's fine, too. Um and, and over over longer periods of time, that's usually the person who's going to make the most money as long as they don't derail their plan when things go down. But there are certain things that you're looking at when you're uh, thinking about those three different goals. And one of the things I wanted to highlight uh, that was put in our ISG uh, piece when when they put this out back earlier this year is when you have each one of those portfolio goals, There's some some things that you want to not expect to happen. So if you're trying to meet your future cash flow needs, you don't, you should not expect to have performance that's similar to the major benchmarks or your peers or protection against any kind of short-term losses. All right. Because you're not going to, that when you're investing to meet future cash flow needs, you're going to be in a more conservative portfolio. And that more conservative portfolio is, is not going to keep up with the benchmarks. You will have some protection against losses. But uh, but not against necessarily short term, long term you you will. So limiting volatility, what should you not expect for that? Well, there again, you don't want to get you don't expect performance similar to the major benchmarks because you're limiting volatility. All right, so you're you're trying to accomplish something else there, not growth. All right, then you want to keep up with the benchmarks. If you keep up with the benchmarks, then don't expect to avoid short term losses because you're going to have those. I almost guarantee it. You, yes, you're going to have those. Uh, and then, and then, or even really have the highest possibility of meeting your future cash flow goals because you may not. Uh, because if you keep up the benchmarks, there's a higher risk in there. So you don't know, especially if you need the money at a particular point in time. If you need it at a particular point in time, as you get closer to that point in time, you need to move that money from the long term bucket the the uh, be keeping up with the benchmark bucket to something more conservative because if you don't have any flexibility on when you need that money you want to make sure that money is there when you need it and if you leave it in the market well you may need it and then a month before you need it things start to go down and then the money's not there anymore so you have to agree to uh to actually miss whatever potential losses there might, uh, uh, gains there might be in, the, let's say, the three to six months to a year before you need the money in order to make sure you preserve those funds so that they're there when you need the money. And so really, uh, as I've really been implying this whole time, having a success in your investing, I think it, it requires a, a financial plan. You, you need to understand your financial plan. And, and we really stress that with new clients. And we we can invest without doing the financial plan, uh, but and we can do the financial plan without doing the investing. Uh, but we want to make sure that financial plan is is very important and that that sets the tone for how you should invest and gives you a better feel for how much should be in my short term bucket, intermediate term bucket, my long term bucket. How should that be? So really, the number one thing would be develop a, a really goals place financial plan. Stay the course is is very important. So have a plan that you're comfortable with. So it's going to increase, I think, increase the success of you actually meeting those goals, uh, getting the right kind of asset allocation. So how much should be in short-term, long-term, uh, emerging markets versus large growth versus large value, small growth versus small value, private credit versus private equity. Uh, how do you diversify? How do you allocate those assets? And then once you get the, the broader big-picture asset allocation, then you can start drilling down, to the fund selection and security selection and that kind of thing, that's not as important as getting the right asset allocation. Many studies have been done to show asset allocation is the key. Get that part right, and then you'll have the right kinds of investments in the right asset class. And so, even some that are more that are um, not as good performing in that asset class, uh, very well could be better than the uh, performing better than the asset classes that are performing well in in different. Asset classes that that you have, because of the way you've allocated the assets. So, and, and just be careful. Security selection is something that most people don't do. Most people aren't good at it. Some people are good at it, um, but most people are not, and shouldn't be trying to do it. Uh, but security selection by itself, even though we show that as the the least um, impactful in in your overall success of a financial plan, uh, they can be more impactful, good or bad. So when, as I mentioned toward the earlier part of today's uh, program, having an individual stock that does well can certainly impact your financial plan to a very positive extent as it as it goes up a lot. But it can do the same thing on the flip side as it goes down. It can take a lot more away. So there's just more risk in that. And so just uh I, I caution you about having too much in there. And we've had a few clients that have asked about well, I want to I want to invest in some individual stocks. Um, the usually the spouse, the the wife, in this case, is usually really glad when we say, well, let's limit how much that's going to be. Uh, you've got this, you know, two million dollar portfolio. Let's say fifty thousand dollars. Let's let you take that and and play with that if you want to. So if you lose it, it's not a big deal, and your spouse is still uh, more comfortable because she knows she's got the real money is invested in a well diversified uh, portfolio. Uh, I still remember uh, years ago. Uh, some of you remember the company Lucent. Uh, and so that company it was one of those that did really well and then did really poorly. And this pr- prospective client came in, and, um, and she never became a client. But and I can't remember why. I just remember this story that uh, she had Lucent. And uh, we, I was looking at the portfolio, and, and she talked about I think she paid $20, $25 a share for that Lucent. And it went up to like 60 $65 a share while she had it. And so she was really, really happy about it. And now, as when she came in our office, it was I think around four or five dollars a share. And so the question was, if you if you become a client of ours, what are you going to do with that losing shares? So so um, I asked her because uh, she really felt like I-, I want to keep this stock because uh, I want to uh, try to recoup my losses. I wanted to go back up because look how far it's gone down. And and so I asked her the question, I said, well, uh, if, you were, if you didn't have Lucent right now and you had this X amount of money that you have invested in Lucent, if you were going around trying to find the best investment that you would want to buy for the next three to five years, next ten years that you think would earn the most, would you buy Lucent? And without hesitation, no way. I'm not buying that, dog. I'm not buying that Lucent because, you know, look what it's done to me. I said, well, if you wouldn't buy it today, then why are you holding on to it? You know, let's let's try to get rid of the asset and put it someplace where you we feel like it's gonna have the most return for the next three to five years. And in spite of what you might feel like because it's down and you and I know it's it's hard to to once you sell it, it's like a permanent mistake i I made that mistake permanently but if if uh if I don't sell it, I didn't make the mistake yet because there's always that chance it may go back up. So you've got to be careful how you make uh, those decisions and And one of the um I think statements that it's very important to remember you you cannot control outcomes. You can only to control the decisions that you make. And that, that applies to a lot of different things in life. Um, but it, it really applies in investing because you can't control the outcomes. And just as I remind you every week almost, if we talk about investing, that um, nobody else can control those outcomes either. And nobody else knows the outcome. Uh, when people are on CNBC and, and those – financial programs where they're on there trying to give their best advice and and best projection, their best forecasting, it's all guessing. It may be somewhat of an educated guess, but they still don't know. There's so many factors that go into the performance of any particular investment to be able to pinpoint and say, this is the reason I think things are going to go well for the next uh, however long. And even on the negative side we've heard lately the in, the um, the bonds how we've had an inverted curve oh inverted curve that's a sign of a of a recession well no not every inverted curve has resulted in a recession now virtually every recession I mean a lot of recessions did have an inverted curve but that was usually a year before it started it wasn't it, from what I recall it, the, the last time I looked at that it was it it happened quite a bit of time before it happened so it's not like oh inverted curve recession is going to start tomorrow. Um, so a lot of the gloom and doomers out there that will send these emails and send these notices out to say, you know, get out of stocks now because that's going to happen. Um, and those are the kind of people you want to say, okay, let me let me look at this particular analyst and see what their projections have been, predictions have been, projections have been for the last five years, ten years. Let me go back and see what they've done in the past. How accurate were they then? <laughs> and if, they, if they were always accurate, well, maybe I want to pay attention to them. But I think you're going to find – that they have not always been accurate. Okay, so um, let's see. We got. Uh, we're gonna have one more segment left here. We'll get to, to kind of wrap up some of these investing things and talk about investing in a in a environment where things seem to be expensive. Want we'll to talk about that? And also want to talk some about uh, investing in a, a dividend income approach. And is that a viable way to look at your investing? We'll be back in just a few minutes with the last segment of Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum, private wealth, everyday steward, family office, and the professional athlete division. The company's largest division, private wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private wealth advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with a big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Now back to Talking Money. we got about 10 minutes here left in Talking Money. I'm trying to wrap up the discussion. Uh, it seems like every time I put together my notes and and my thoughts and what I want to talk about, I always run out of of time. I never run out of material. I always run out of time. So I got a, a few things I want to really make sure I, I cover uh, today, so we can kind of wrap up this three part series on uh, on investing. And 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 of course, I'm always available to to you, the listeners. Uh, and as of course, um, one of the senior private wealth advisors at uh, Ronald Blue Trust, love to speak with you, I I don't, as as I've often said, I don't really take new clients, Um. so, but we've got a team of, of uh, smarter and younger people at the office than, than I am, that that you would love to work with, I think, and so, uh, you know, three of them are CPAs, and and uh, all of them are their CFPs, or PFSs, or, and have all, and, and even the, those are just the team leaders, and the ones who work for the team leaders also have, their CF, their Certified Financial Planner designation, and, and other credentials that uh, that they've worked hard for. So I think we've got a great team just in the Greenville office, and then of course we have access to all the resources that the firm has. Uh, quite often we get emails from people in the in the Washington office or the Baltimore office that's, that that just they're in a situation with a client and they're asking what's the best way, who's handled this situation in the past. Now, what's the best way to handle that situation? And so we're going to just give them, you know, we don't get paid anything for doing that. We're just trying to help our clients and make sure they they get the right kind of information, get the right solutions to whatever problems they're doing. It's nice to have one big team that we're working with, not like a um a major wirehouse where you, 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 you'll have a lot of individual teams inside there and they really don't talk to each other like that. Uh, we talk to each other and get together frequently and so forth. So it's nice to be at a, a big firm, but it's not a major big firm. It's still, um, one that, that communicates well with each other. So talking about investing and, and giving you some, some basic philosophies in this. And, and I hear quite frequently people talking about, well, uh, I'm not going to invest now because stocks are high. Well, they're not as high as they were in January, so they've gone down some, and they've started to come back up, and down, I think, at 10% at one time, and now maybe down around 5, 4 or 5%. So it just, it depends on when you invest. So you really want to look at your, at your time frame. I can't tell you how many times through the years that I've felt that same way. Wow, it just feels like things are high. And they are higher than they have been. Um, uh, but does that mean they're at a peak and about ready to go down? Or is it really a new low point? I mean, we don't know that because our crystal ball is not that accurate to <laughs> say it's not accurate at all, actually, it's to say, okay, what what is the price going to be um, a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now? So if you're looking at the stocks as part of your eight to ten year plus bucket, then you don't get as concerned about what the price is right now if it's one or two percent higher, one or two percent lower, five percent higher, five percent lower because ten years from now that's not probably going to make much difference now i I will tell you the the way I think when I'm investing clients funds if if we're having a uh, we're ready to invest some cash. And we're having a two three percent a really good up day. Well, then I'm just going to say, well, I'm well wait because tomorrow, the way the volatility's been tomorrow, it's probably going to be back down one or two percent. So, but even then, playing that game is like, okay, you're not always going to hit that right. And and so looking at that of a long term invest it according to that need the time frame that you need the money. And please, the last point, don't let fear or greed drive you away from that process that you've set up for yourself. I've seen it both ways. If people get greedy and they don't rebalance. they have things that are doing well, so they're what used to be a 60% growth, uh, 40% fixed income portfolio is now 70-30, and, and that's mainly because the 60% portion did, or some portion of that 60% did really well. So now they're at 70%, and their their temptation then is to say, no, I'm going to let it run. I, you know, I get greedy and say, well, let let it go, keep going. No. As, as a risk control measure, then take 10% off the table and it is in, hopefully it's just certain asset classes inside that 60%. You're going to skim off the profits and you're going to put them in something else inside the 60% bucket that hasn't done as well or in the fixed income bucket uh, just to have take some off the table essentially and put in something that's uh, less volatile and, and has less potential return. But you're, you're locking in those gains so that you can – um, rest easy at night and, and make sure that your needs and goals are going to be met as opposed to trying to say oh, well, I'm going to take a, a big chunk of it and put it into some kind of an annuity that says I'm never going to lose money I'm going to make well I've seen those happen over years and the ones I've seen don't perform well over time and and so just be very very careful about having that guarantee go there You could, I think do it by investing in the same kinds of things that the insurance company invests in they're investing in intermediate term corporate bonds well, just invest in those yourself. You'll, yeah, you'll see more volatility, but I think you'll see more return over time as well. Uh, dividend uh, um, income approach, so I've heard that. A lot of people say, well, I'm just going to invest in, in major companies that have great dividends, and I feel better about that. Well, now, from a from a safety, less volatility standpoint, I think that's, that's correct. From a keeping up with the benchmarks and or having higher growth potential, that's not a good idea. Because when a company is paying a significant amount in dividends, that means they're not putting it back into their company. And the, the companies that reinvest what would have been a dividend, they're investing for growth. and So you still have to be a good company that knows what they're doing with the, that money. But if they can put that toward growth, then the stock price is going to go up. And, and the, that total stock price, the idea is, the goal is, that that total stock price growth in change in, in value is going to be more than whatever change in value of the stock price of those dividend stocks plus the dividend. Uh, and maybe people don't realize that that, that when when the stock goes ex dividend, the price of the stock goes down by the amount of the dividend. All right. And and so when you if you buy one after, you say, oh, I missed the dividend. Well, that's all right because you got a better price in the stock instead. And then, and then it starts going back up again or, or down depending on, on what the, the, actual, um, profit margins of that, that company is doing. So just be careful about having too much in that kind of investing, uh, in that kind of investment, uh, t- to, um, uh, make sure you don't limit your potential, uh, volatility. Um, so, um, I, I had some information here on, on value investing versus growth investing. is starting to get, um, Toward the end of the hour here, but just a reminder that you want to not have all of one. Uh, I, uh, our firm and I have always leaned more toward value investing, but not so much that uh, I eliminated the growth because I felt like you had to have some of each. Now, So the portfolio may be skewed toward value because over time, that's when you have the least volatility with the highest return. So that, to me, was uh, it made sense, especially as I get to smaller companies, small value stocks. I love – it's probably one of my favorite categories, small value stocks. Because um, I think there's the the biggest punch, uh, biggest growth potential is is there. Of course, you have more volatility because it's a higher risk type stock. So, what has happened over the years with the stock market? So, I have um, looked at some charts, and this is in the the packet that uh, the ISG team puts together for us. Uh, interesting chart, and I've seen this uh, often times, and it compares the rolling one year. Uh, S&P 500 performance. So that's just taking one year at a time, but it's a rolling one year. Uh, so you go January, January, June to June, so forth. So it's a rolling one year. And the volatility, and, and when you see, uh, the, the, if you look at a chart that does that, you're gonna look like a little like a heart monitor that's just going up and down all the time. Just, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just <laughs> so like it's, it's, look it almost looks like a heart monitor. Um, if you look at the rolling 20 year, S&P 500 performance 20 year. All right? There's never in modern history never been a negative rolling 20 years. So when you see the chart on that, it barely moves. It's just right above the zero line going anywhere from, you know, closer to zero, probably I don't know what it, I can't tell what the percent is, but up to maybe 20% on a rolling 20 year basis. You didn't have a loss. So, and this, the chart I'm looking at goes back to 1939, which means it takes performance back to 1919 to get a 20 year rolling year performance. So, that's, I think it's just a great reminder for us that when you look at investing stock investing over time is not as risky as a lot of people think now some people think okay well I'm 65 or 70 already I don't have 20 years well if it's in your long term bucket and there's a good chance that it's not money that you're going to need it's probably you're investing for your kids or your grandkids well they have a 20 year bucket so that's the part you have to look at that I'm not investing in that for myself uh, maybe for emergencies but it's uh, it's really investing for somebody else in all likelihood uh, so when you look at the the risk of stock market losses, and you look at uh, one-year returns, five-year annualized returns, and 15-year annualized re- returns, not even the, the 20-year rolling like I was just looking at, that over a, a one-year return, there's a 26% chance of a negative return, 74% of a positive return. That goes to 13% chance of loss, negative return, on a five-year annualized basis. And on a 15-year annualized return basis, 100% chance that that's going to be a positive return. So I think looking at it the, the right way and looking at it uh, definitely a long-term, you're looking at your long-term bucket, not your short-term bucket, that um, I think you'll sleep better at night, you won't worry about it as much, and you, uh, hopefully you'll meet your goals even sooner. All right, so 800-588-7526 is my number at the office. So I'd love to hear from you. If I can help in any way, please give me a call at that number, 800-588-7526. Have a great week.